Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is disability activist Lee Ellery, who's from Swansea. Hi Lee, how's things? Hi Kieran, long time no see, things are great, how about you? Very good, thanks. <laughs> I've had a busy week but I'm glad that we could do this today because it was touch and go whether we would be able to. But no, I'm so glad that you were able to do it and I was able to do it. Um, I haven't seen you for a long time. It's been a good few years since we caught up. Um, but the first thing I want to ask you is, like, what what has this period been like over the pandemic, over the course of the last 18 months? Well, for me, it's been uh, quite quite a good experience really because um, as you know I've done a lot of uh, voluntary work and whereas some places have had to stop um, working or functioning I've carried on with that through means of Zooms and uh, meeting up with people virtually so it hasn't really affected what I would do normally. That's so good to hear because so many people have had work either cancelled or postponed. It's great that the work that you've been doing has been able to carry on. Now, the first thing I normally ask people who come on this podcast is how did you get first get interested in the arts? And I'm going to ask you the exact same question. Well, I think started for me when I was in, um, when I was in primary school and comprehensive, um, because I've always been, um, interested in musical theatre and and performing in terms of performing with the school choirs, etc. So I think the the desire to perform really got me hooked on it. And, like, was it was it something you just loved to do immediately, or, like, were you unsure? Was there a bit of tra- trepidation going yeah. into it? Yeah, it was, it was something I'd like to do as a hobby. After school, I remember in comprehensive school, after school on a Monday, mm. we used to have choir practice and I used to go along and just 
having a lot of enjoyment, uh, enjoying the fact that I could still be part of school life. Mm. And that's what I was going to ask, were there any barriers to access or were there any difficulties for you as someone with CP in terms of accessing the arts? Um, in terms, in terms of accessing to my to my comprehensive school, it was all on a flat uh, level, so I could access everything throughout the school. Um, but in terms of uh, general access, in terms of access in the arts, obviously, as you know yourself, um, we've all had to, whenever we've gone to places, to performances, we've always had to make sure things are in place before mm. we've actually gone. And and to know, like, theatre companies, like, you always talk about them taking flight theatre company and, and um, the others based in Cardiff, to know that they are uh, working mm. to make to fit accessibility into their work and uh, disabled people's access requirements into their work is just um, pleasing to see, really. I don't know how you feel about this, but I had to make an access rider for a job that I had last month up in the Court, and I wrote it, I read it back, and I thought to myself, Am I asking for too much here? And I felt kind of a bit guilty that I needed those accommodations. Do you sometimes feel, oh, am I asking for too much? Whereas you know, you know that's what you need, but you're worried about what the reaction of the company you're working with is going to be. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, if I'm asking, if you're talking about it in terms of an access requirement yes. if i'm ask if i'm asking for something to be in place for me to attend then if it's not available then i i just won't go but right. i will i i always I, i've always said since the start of lockdown things have been easier for me to attend because yeah. as we were just saying, it's been virtual. Um, but now coming out of lockdown, what I've what I've uh, tried to reiterate to people that I've been doing voluntary work for is to do it do it as a blended approach. Yeah. So if you can't if you can't be somewhere in person because of your access needs, then like we were saying the other day, we can do things virtually. And, and yeah, we are seeing that, you know, virtual meetings and events being phased out. But as you say, I think the ideal way forward is to implement more of a hybrid model so that there is that option of attending in person, but for those who need it for whatever reason, yeah. Even, even like, because public transport is so expensive these days, it can be hard to get 
you know, especially if it's at London or Bristol or somewhere like that. I yeah. think Zoom attendance on Zoom should still be an option for people. It's, it should be a given now, not just an option. It should be there automatically. Definitely. Um, so, you were a member of the Rising Stars State Company, who are based in Swansea. Um, they're currently under the artistic directorship of the wonderful Michelle McTiernan, um, who I've had on this podcast. Uh, but at the time, they were run by, I forget their surnames, but Keith and Stevie. And Stevie. So how did you first get involved with the Rising Stars? Um, the Rising Stars initially was run by a project called Interplay, which basically um, provides... Um, opportunities for disabled uh, children and adults to have have leisure activities mm-hmm. for the summer and the rising stars came came as an offshoot of that really right. instead of instead of it just being for the summer it was it was a weekly activity that they mm-hmm. ran i think we were the it was the only activity in the week that Interplay ran because it was because mainly their work was focused around summer play schemes and things okay. like that. Um, but I went along just because I liked the performing arts as we were talking yeah. about earlier. Um, and then obviously the as we know uh in to play um cut the funding for the drama group as it was when i first joined yeah. it um it was called spotlight theater company back in back in them days okay that's how that's how long ago i'm talking Wh- when did, um, when did it start then it started it started to a good few years ago now I can't exactly remember but it was said um, from it into play that they were going to cut the funding mm. because they needed to concentrate on other stuff and obviously the drama group was so close to people as in parents and stuff they wanted it to continue. Yeah. So a group of us got together and re rebranded it to, as the Rising Stars Theatre Company. Mm. And yeah, as you said, Keith and Stevie were still keen to carry on with it. So they were involved in it initially. And then it's gone from strength to strength, as you say, with, with Michelle and McTurnan and, and Nikki. Nikki and Woodrow, yes. Um, and, and they've done some fantastic stuff in recent years and they keep, as you say, it goes from strength to strength with every yeah. performance I do, I think. As as we were saying earlier, uh, the other day, I'm no longer a member, not, only, not because I don't want to be, 
is just um, one, one I've got too much work yeah. on and two, the way the group has gone for whatever reason, it's it's not for me, but that that's I, another I, story. I think the demographic of the group has changed. It's now largely for adults with learning disabilities. Yeah, and, yeah. and that is amazing, you know. But that, um, that's fine. But that's fine. It's got to move in the direction it wants to move. But I'm glad to be honest with you. I left when I did because the things have got better for me now than yes. than I ever thought they would. So, so after you left Rising Stars, what happened for you next? Then, um, I was still involved in theatre actually, um, alongside uh, after leaving uh, Rising Stars. I'm going back now to 2006, right. um, when a project with Disability Arts Cymru came about called the Unusual Stage School. I've heard about that. And they wanted 12 um, disabled people to write a play from scratch um, using their own experiences and then put it on in a theatre in Cardigan. I think you might know the theatre say no, but it was in Theatre Molden. Theatre Molden, yes. Yeah, in Cardigan. And um, that was just a wonderful experience because there were quite a lot of applications that they had to sift through. Mm. Um, but I was one of the lucky 12. Had you, had you done much playwriting before that? Um, no. I will I will I will be honest and say and done any. Um, but the way that it was worked upon, we had a wonderful uh, director in Chris Tully Evans. Yes. From from um, Ryder in North Wales. He is uh, going he's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, you spoke to him already. I emailed him and he said he wants to come on, so it'll be good to talk to him. Yeah, so the way Chris directed the whole thing, initially he wanted to, during the uh, first couple of days, he wanted to hear stories from us as disabled people on stuff that had affected us through our lives. Yeah. And then he went away each night because we all stayed together in the same place. And each night after the workshops, we were there for two weeks, each night after the workshops, he'd go away and write a scene on mm. um, what we told him the day before. And then he'd come to us the next day and he'd say, um, what do you think of this idea I've got? Do you do you like it or don't you? And 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 it was just a good experience because we felt included from the word go. How much did it help that Chris identifies as disabled and had an understanding of 
you know, what it's like to be a disabled person? Well, it helped immensely because, as you know, disability arts uh, Camry won't work with anybody who, who doesn't believe in their values. Mm. And I think with, with Disability Arts Cymru's values, it was hard for Chris not to say no mm. because he had worked with them on things in the past. So I think that helped in a way. And it also helped that that we were able to put some of Chris's ideas to life mm. because he he couldn't do it himself because he was directing the whole yeah. the whole piece. But he gave us snippets of his story and we would we we would interpret them in in the way that we felt fit. And so did you ever consider um, a career in the arts? And were there any factors that deterred you from that? Um, did I ever consider a career in the arts? Now, I, I wanted to pursue it, as in go on to the next level if there was another project much like the unusual state school yeah. but I didn't really um, know how to do it in terms of doing it alone right. I'd rather do it as part of an organization if that makes sense because then then I'd have the support and the backing of them if something went wrong um, because it until I'd worked with Chris and, and the people involved in the unusual stage school project, I didn't I didn't really know where it was gonna go mm. and how how much of an impact it was gonna have. Did but you... I think it was a really good experience in all mm. because without that experience part of me um probably probably won't be able to do what I could do today, like like be able to speak in public mm. and and do the stuff in terms of disability activism. Do you feel think, do you feel like it built your confidence up to be able to do the things that you're doing now? Yeah, definitely and and in in whatever um, situation I'm in, I always relate it back to something that I've right. always done. So, and in terms of a pathway into the next level, as you say, from that, do you feel uh, that the connections weren't there, or there wasn't, um, there wasn't a way for you to go in terms of taking a career in the arts to the next level? Uh, I don't think the connections were there at the time because it always depended on funding. Yeah. Because the main bulk of the funding for the project was through the Community um, Arts Council for Wales. Yes. Um, so I suppose if they knew that there was going to be a next level and we were allowed to carry on, I would have. 
and seen where it took yeah. but but they were they may be a next level or they may not be yeah so they couldn't guarantee it that's the thing everything is funding dependent and sometimes you get that funding and sometimes you don't so but since then since then aside from that project i know um towards the end of it they were they did little tiny pieces of theatre where they invited some of us back to be involved in it right you know just little one-off pieces mm -hmm. so i remember doing one piece again chris directed that it was for the unity festival one year yes uh, unity. yes and it was up in cardiff um so i did that but i think that was the last bit of bit of work yeah, i've yeah. done with disability arts but i i am still in contact with them i do still receive the newsletters and stuff so if ever there was an opportunity that i could jump into yeah. i i wouldn't be surprised if you ever see me doing something again oh, because fantastic. acting will always be mm. will always hold a special place for me I am going to move on slightly and I'd like to talk you to talk about your time at Swansea Youth Forum. So, yes. like, how how did you join? Like, how did you first become involved? Uh, how did I join the Swansea Youth Forum? It was basically, I was doing a workshop. I can't remember the workshop now because it was too long. <laughs> But I was involved in a workshop with the Swansea Youth Service. Yeah. And they mentioned about a strand of a strand of something called the Swansea Youth Forum, which was run alongside them for people my age. Then I was a teenager. Um, to get involved and change uh, local democracy yeah. within within council or if things were going on which affected young people we could do consultations on different things and get young people's views and stuff so I did a few events with them uh, always included me in in everything and if I couldn't be included because of access needs they would get my views before the event so I my my yeah. point of view was taken on board. Were were you a political person before you joined? Did you were you interested in politics? Did you have political opinions before you joined? Um, I, I've I've always been um been that way um, but I don't think it was as much until Swansea Youth Forum came into into my life shall we say because it was them that um, that gave me the confidence again uh, okay. to be able to 
to be able to um, speak up in public and and mm. and talk. And were you aware of things like the social model? Uh, yes, I was, uh, because also alongside my work with with uh, the Swansea Youth Forum, I I was training at the time to become a disability awareness trainer through Swansea Council for Voluntary Services. Okay. And I was actually going through the course then. Um, so I had an awareness of disability um, legislation, uh, but I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now. When when you when you were first told about the social model, um, for anyone who doesn't know what the social model is, by the way, so there are two ways of thinking really about disability. The social model dictates that someone is disabled because of the societal barriers they face, because not because of the condition that they have. Um, whereas the medical model dictates that someone is disabled because of the condition they have. And a lot of disabled people, most disabled people, tend to favour the social model. 100% so, so, so when you found out about the social model, did it make a difference on the way that you viewed yourself, and the way that you felt about being disabled? I've always been a positive person. I've never been negative at all um, in terms of in terms of disability issues. Uh, I've always not seen my disability as a barrier. Mm. If people can't, if people say that I can't do something, I'll. I'll figure out the way that I yeah. can still, still participate, and I, I might even say to the person, "Have you thought of this?" Mm. For example, I might even say to someone something like that, you know, mm. just to open their eyes to say, "Well, if you can include someone in something, have you thought of this to yeah. make it make it into a reasonable adjustment?" And again, that's putting my training hat on and, and, from what I've learned. And sometimes it takes someone like me or like yourself with that lived experience to tell someone who maybe doesn't have that lived experience where the barriers are. And then that can, that can be the impetus yeah. to affect the change. But if you ask me, like, before I did the training in disability awareness, could I challenge anybody? Uh, probably the answer would be no, because I didn't feel I had the backing of something. You right. know, if if somebody was to say something like, uh, say something wrong to me or against maybe one of my friends, whereas now I could say, you shouldn't say that to a disabled person. Yeah. Then I just ignore it. And do you think that was a confidence thing? 
having the confidence to to say something. Um, yeah, and it, it's also the fact that it's belief in yourself, in it, as a person with mm. this, as a person with a disability. Um, I've done the disability awareness training, so I'm entitled to tell you what's wrong and yeah. what's right because I, I know it. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about your time with Funky Dragon, which is the Young People's National Assembly for Wales. Now, of course, the Welsh Parliament got the name changed, but at the time, it was the National Assembly for Wales, which you were involved in. So, how important do you think it is that young people get involved in politics? Um, really important. Um, because at the end of the day, young people are the next generation. And if they don't get involved in an early stage, then whatever's decided before, before mm. they get involved, they can't change. And that was, in my opinion, why I got involved with Funky Dragon, because I found out, I, I can't remember how I found out, but I found out may have been through the Swansea Youth Forum because they had connections with Swansea Youth Forum rep used to sit on it. Right. And I think it was them that told me next time they're recruiting for men, but you, you want to ask if you can or become involved in it. And like, I said, why? And they said, there's no disabled person on the what they called in them days the Grand Council, right. which is now now the Youth Parliament, as we know. Um, so I went, and to be to be frank, uh, they until I was a, a member of the Funky Dragon as a whole, the the access barriers that us as disabled people mm -hmm. face, they didn't have to think about. So yeah. it wasn't it was an immediate. Well, I would say now, a culture change, because they had somebody with a disability who, um, when Funky Dragon went away to residentials. Yeah. Needed, needed a PA to support them to help them do their personal care needs, etc. No, oh. they, they hadn't thought of that. And what was the but, what was the reaction to that? Were they willing to adapt? Were they willing to implement the things that you needed? Um. initially, they didn't know where to go because they. They were asking me, so in the end, what I used to do was take my own, like someone who I who I knew would take me, and mm. they would sort rooms out, etc., for that person as well. Yeah. 
so but once once they gone this way and doing things they knew that and in terms of your political views did you affiliate yourself with any particular party or or have your views kind of changed over the years? Initially then, I, uh, uh, I've always been, uh, I suppose, I've always been one to just flick in and out of, of different circles. Yeah. Um, but now... Now I've grown up and been through uh, funky dragon circles and every like obviously working the assembly and stuff. Yeah. I've always I've always been a, a Labour member. Okay. Uh, but I've never taken it serious until right. prob- probably um, round about now. Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing more more issues being raised to myself and other colleagues about people with disabilities not having this and not having that. Not necessarily me, but other disabled people are having yeah. issues. So between myself and and a few regular activists trying to make change. I don't know as yet if, if, if we've made any difference, but only, only time will tell. What are the barriers that still remain for disabled people in Swansea and in South Wales? Well, if you take Swansea just on its own as, as a just in general, um, there's, there's still, I feel anyway, and other people I sp- speak to feel, there's still um, a barrier between us and them, as in local council, because I don't know if you've heard of a term called co-production, which means <laughs> that... Um, which means that if the council are doing something that affects a certain a certain minority yeah. of the city, they have to include that group of people when they're designing policies or making changes to whatever yeah. they need to make changes to. Now, Swansea are getting there in terms of that but then they're not they're not re- they're not fully there um, in some places they got it but in other places they haven't got it so I, I think there's a there's a a general uh, a general feeling that that there's there's a wall an imaginary ball where sometimes it's, it's open, mm. there's an open dialogue, and then other times you come up, you come up against that wall. 
can it sometimes feel that you are making progress and you are getting somewhere, but then you come up against a barrier that you hadn't perhaps expected? Anticipated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it can be like that. You start off a, a process, it's all going good, and then all of a sudden they'll throw something in, in the in the water work, should we say, and and that's that's something you have to adapt to and and mm. change. And we have done that. Um um we have seen some changes when we've done that, but um more so now when you talk about um people's independent and uh, independent budgets and stuff like yes. that. Uh, that. That's a big issue for Swansea at the moment. And I suppose funding is being cut to these councils so there isn't as much to go around. So disabled people aren't maybe getting the provisions that they were getting, say, 10 years ago. No. And I think, I think if if we're going to talk about how lockdown has changed all this. Yes, let's do that. There's definitely, um, things are the same as it was before lockdown, but it's, in some cases, uh, it's been made worse. What I've found is that a lot of people were classed as vulnerable, a lot of disabled people were classed as vulnerable during the pandemic. And I think that is still being used as an excuse not to implement um, accessible policies. Like, oh, these people are vulnerable, so they're going to be staying at home anyway. And I hope that that is not a scapegoat for... No. Do you agree with this? Do you agree with what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, but I, I, I don't know when you want me to talk about it, Kieran, but but the work that I've been doing at the moment with Welsh Government, the yes, lockdown report, yes. uh, into the pandemic, uh, how it's affected disabled people um, throughout, uh, we only based it on the first lockdown. Okay. Um, so there's nothing in it as, as of where we are now. But uh, there's, like we were just saying, um, the report has just exacerbated what we already knew. Right. And it's, it's just proved it. I mean, I mean, one of the statistics is, you, you won't believe it when I tell you, one of the one of the statistics is is sixty eight percent of disabled people have either died from Jesus. from contracting COVID or died from not being supported through the yeah. pandemic. Jesus. So, and that sometimes you feel like it wasn't an accident. That it was deliberate. Like some people were put yeah. in harm's way <laughs> maliciously. Do you know what I mean? In... And that to me was just when when we found that statistic, uh, that I found that like you just said, no, oh my god, and it 
it was just an eye-opener. Mm. Because we aren't told that on the news. That would never be a headline. And if it was, you'd hope that people would be up in arms about it. I, I mean, the report is published now. Uh, it gets out mm. in the public domain now. So you can actually read it. So if, if people want to do that, um, how can they? How can they do that? Um, they can they can get it from the Welsh government website, uh, or I can provide you with a link. So when you uh, post this out later, yes. it can be included. I'll do that definitely. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I I think the report in itself uh, needs needs work in terms of the recommendations that we recommended. Mm. When I say we, it wasn't just me, it was a, a group of uh, disabled people who, who came at it with different experiences via the organizations that they represented on, on, the, on the group. Mm. So, so, you know, it's, I would say some of the stuff in there is is just scandalous, really. It is, and and how do you think this can be highlighted so that it's not uh, not ignored like so many issues surrounding disabled people have been ignored? Um, well, the next the next step now is the first minister as. Um, re- uh, has understood that he needs to take a co-productive approach. Right. In in terms, actually, the report itself was co-produced with us as a steering group and Professor Debbie Foster from Cardiff University. Right. So the process up until now has been co-produced. So. The first minister now has has realised he has to carry on with that, and through um, his connections with the social justice and equalities minister Jane Hutt, who commissioned us to do the report in the first place, um, he has now asked for for the same group to form a task force directly underneath his office so we can select some of the recommendations in the report because there's a lot of them mm. um, we can we can um, select some of the most important ones where we want the government to take action on straight away yeah um. uh, and if, as people have always said since the report has been published, it's not going to be a quick fix. No, it's gonna it's going to be going on for a while. But uh, and at least... you and you don't want a quick fix either. I doubt you want sustained action on it rather than yeah. a sticking plaster. If yeah, is, exactly. If it is a sticking plaster, the wound is still there. You're just covering it up. You want. <laughs> we want it to be out there and Absolutely. recognized, really. So yeah, um, we've got that uh, kicking off. I think the first uh, meeting 
should have been in October, but due to a government's commitments, etc., on different things, okay. they've now mo- they've now moved it to November. So, but as Jane had said, when we met with her last, there's no cut-off point in terms of when the task force will begin or end. It's an ongoing process, so we'll just have to wait and and see. But that's that's where we're heading, I think. Well, please keep me updated with how it goes and anything I can do to help. Um, I'd be more than happy. I, I will, definitely. The last thing I want to ask you before I let you get on with your Saturday is what advice would you give to someone, maybe a young disabled person who's just starting out on their journey into activism? Uh, first of all, uh, just do it like I did and grab some ticks, do it like I did in terms of going along to different meetings and having a feel for, let's say for example, going along to a a local forum meeting, having a feel for it. And then if you like it, continue. But also what I would say is if you have a contact within like parliament or something, uh, go and shadow them for for a couple of a couple of days or one day a week for so many weeks because i can say that uh during my college um or my college uh, work yeah. experience i actually did three days up in the center and it was mm. it was just a place to be to, to be um recognized with yeah. you know I, I was just I was just so pleased to be up there and in, in with the democracy for a couple of days that I was there Do you have ambitions to maybe run for the Senate or run for Westminster um, Parliament in the future? I have um, ambitions I don't know if you read the piece of writing I, I sent mm, you I did. <laughs> um, but I I wrote that after being asked a question in terms of a creative writing course that I did yeah and um, basically I I just put myself in because of my experience with Welsh government, I just put myself in the in the shoes of what a minister may may expect from a disabled person, and, I, yeah. and it was an imaginary piece. But but I I understand now that different groups of people are are campaigning for yeah. a disability equality or disability minister in in the assembly. I know I know that at the moment uh Jane Hutt covers it under her umbrella inequalities, but she's also social justice. Uh, so uh, are there any disabled 
OASs? Um, they are, there are some, but they're hidden disabilities, so you can't actually see them, but there's no, as far as I can tell anyway, there's no obvious, like, there's nobody there in a wheelchair, or there's nobody there with CP. That maybe those people who've got hidden impairments need to come forward and need to stand up for the rights of disabled people more. If they're there, they should use their platform to do that, maybe. Yes, and and what I what I go in a bit on what you've just said. Um, obviously, during the last election campaign. Uh, I sat in on a few zooms. Yeah. Uh, and and the the amount of people who who were standing in terms of because they've got a disability and they wanted to make a difference. Yeah. Was was very little. Mm. Uh, so I think I think in in the grand scheme of things the we need to promote it more to, to mm. people, to anybody, not just people with oh. disabilities. Thank you, Lee. It's been really lovely catching up after so long. Thank you for for reaching out to me and for coming on, and I'm so glad that we were able to do this today. Thank you, and uh, good luck for future podcasts. Thank and, you. And I'll be... Now I've been on you, I'll be listening more often. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to tell you about the couple of guests we've got on the next couple of episodes of In Lockdown With. So I'm not sure in what order these are going to be, but I'm going to be interviewing Mark Reese, who is a theatre maker, theatre director, who does large-scale site-specific theatre. I will also be interviewing Hannah McPick, who makes gig theatre as a director and a performer. And I will also be interviewing uh, a writer who Lee mentioned earlier, Chris Tally Evans. So yeah, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to always get the latest episode of In Lockdown With. But for now, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Lee. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.